Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we are going to continue. Are y'all enjoying this on Wednesdays? We have been discussing the subject specifically of speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, why it is necessary, why it is vital, why it's applicable. Even today, 2,000 years later, we can still walk in and apply the power of praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues, praying in an unknown language, a heavenly language. I cannot recap everything that we have covered so far. I can't do all that, but the past two services last week, and then it was actually two weeks prior to that that we jumped into this because I was gone a week, and um, those two uh, are online, and you can find them online, and you can recap what we have touched on so far regarding praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues, and um, like I said, this is not just a study for those that maybe haven't heard of this or don't know about this or haven't applied it, but even for those of us that have walked in, and I believe that there are truths that we will see through this that will either help us walk deeper and more boldly in our prayer language or praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues, and also give us a, a practical and instructional understanding of praying in the Spirit. We see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, he says, pursue love. The reason why he's saying pursue love is because if you recall, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is known as the what chapter? The love chapter, right? We know 1 Corinthians 13, he breaks down love and the power of love and the vitality of love and, and the purpose of love and the biblical explanation and definition of love. And so he is transitioning from that. You know, the last verse of 1 Corinthians 13, now there. Uh, remains faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Verse 1, he says, pursue love, yet desire earnestly <clears throat> spiritual gifts. Everyone say spiritual gifts. Desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. The very first verse right out the gate he tells us that there should be an earnest desire. Uh, one translation says a zeal or a passion for spiritual gifts. Now, I need to give you just a little bit of backdrop to this 1 Corinthian church, this Corinthian church in this 1 Corinthian letter. That means that there are more than one letters to this Corinthian church, right? And really, honestly, throughout 1 Corinthians, it's a firm rebuke to this Corinthian church. This first Corinthian letter is Paul addressing abuses, mishandlings, mishaps, um, uh, rampant sin that is happening in the church. Uh, just to give you a few of the cases that are addressed in this uh, book, 1 Corinthians, um, one is they were suing each other and taking each other to court for petty little things. Um, there's another incident, pretty a uh, pretty terrible incident where there was a young man that was sleeping with his father's wife. Not his mom, but apparently his father 
remarried, and the young man is sleeping with that lady. This is happening. This is in 1 Corinthians. You can read about it. Not only that, but to take it a step further, the 1 Corinthian church is harboring this young man and excusing his sin. And Paul tells him directly, you need to put that man out of the church. He's not responsive uh, to biblical teaching, to biblical accountability. Hand him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. I mean, that's a pretty serious issue. And there were these things on down in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He has to address their spiritual immaturity. Spiritual immaturity. Aren't you behaving like mere men, like babies, is what he says. I ought to be able to feed you the spiritual milk of the word, which means Paul had an expectation that they would be past these things. We know this just historically, that from the time Paul planted this church at Corinth to the time that he wrote this 1 Corinthians letter, it could be anywhere from four to seven years that he's writing this letter. So within that four to seven year time frame, he's expecting them to yield some spiritual fruit, to have some spiritual maturity. You can't put a time frame on spiritual maturity, but apparently, Paul, uh, you know, you don't age spiritually like you do as a child. But apparently, Paul, somewhere within four to seven years, had an expectation that you would be at least producing spiritual fruit. That you wouldn't be walking in hatred towards your brothers and sisters. That you wouldn't be, uh, they were even identifying themselves by who the pastor was when they came to that church. So Paul planted the church, but he hands it off to Apollos, and there became these groups or these cliques within the church that said, we are the Paul group. We like Paul. We were here when he, when he planted the church. And then there was an Apollos group, and he said, none of us are of Paul. None of us are of Apollos. It's, it's God. We, we all planted and then some water, but it's God that brings the increase. We're the body of Christ. You're not the body of Paul or the body of Apollos. You're the body of Christ. So there's this disunity taking place. And among all that, among all those horrible things that are happening in this church, he devotes an entire chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, an entire chapter to spiritual gifts in operation in the church. And he's having to devote this chapter to correct and solidify the practices and purposes of spiritual gifts in a corporate setting. Later on down in this chapter, he says things like, when you come, all of you have a tongue. All of you have a prophecy. All of you have a song. All of you want to teach. All of you want to preach. Isn't that amazing that the spiritual gifts were operating in this church to the degree that they were, even in an overabundance, with all that messed up stuff going on? What's this tell us? That gifts are not a sign of spiritual maturity. Spiritual gifts are not a sign of spiritual maturity. They are not an indicator of how deep you are in God. They're not an indicator of how much you know of how much you've learned. No, what is the indicator of spiritual maturity? The fruits of the Spirit. And so when we make a, a priority of gifts of the Spirit over the fruit of the Spirit, we end up in a dangerous place. 
We end up in a dangerous place where Paul is having to rebuke serious things going on. If you read the first 13 chapters of this book, you would would think these people were devoid of spiritual gifts. You would think that no Holy Ghost was operating in their services. But it was actually the clear opposite. Far from it was actually they were mishandling and misusing the gifts of the Spirit. Because they didn't put a priority and emphasis on the fruit of the Spirit. And maybe some of us have been impacted in a very real way with someone that in the church setting or in a corporate setting looked like a spiritual head or a spiritual leader or, you know, maybe they spoke in tongues out here and then they cussed you out out there. I don't know, but that's very possible. What are we addressing? We're addressing the fact that we've got to have the right priority. He's telling them to desire spiritual gifts and he's writing this to a group of people that are abusing it and misusing it. But he's wanting to correct it. He's wanting to bring a foundation. He's wanting to give direction and counsel and guidance for the practices and their purposes. For the practices and their purposes. So right out the gate, he says, desire earnestly spiritual gifts. So a lot of people misunderstand this chapter, 1 Corinthians 14. And the conclusion that they come to is that Paul is forbidding the gifts of the Spirit. But if they would go back to the first verse of this chapter, you would find that he is not interested in forbidding the gifts of the Spirit in operation. He's actually telling them to desire earnestly the gifts in operation. And again, he is specifically calling out two. We have an entire chapter in the book. We covered the nine gifts of the Spirit last week. There's nine of them that are covered in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You've got working of miracles, gifts of healings, gifts of faith. Uh, you've got words of knowledge, words of, de, uh, uh, of wisdom, discerning of spirits, uh, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Nine gifts of the Spirit. And we have an entire chapter, 1 Corinthians 14, devoted to two of them. Prophecy, or three of them. Prophecy, tongues, and interpretation. So, you know what that tells me? Those three gifts were just as confusing 2,000 years ago as they are today. If Paul had to address and use an entire chapter, of course, he didn't write in chapter and verse, but the Holy Spirit went back and said, we're breaking this out. That's a whole chapter by itself. And he's addressing specifically in chapter 14, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues, an entire chapter. We don't have an entire chapter on word of wisdom, word of knowledge, gift of faith, discerning of spirits, gift of healing, working of miracles. We don't have chapters devoted to those. We have an entire chapter devoted to tongues, praying, uh, speaking in an unknown language, the interpretation of that tongue, bringing a known language to clarify what was spoken in an unknown language, and then prophecy, an entire chapter. So it must be pretty important is what that tells me. And he, again, starts out with desire earnestly, meaning he's not trying to steer us away from it. He's trying to move us toward it, but with accuracy and doing it correctly. He goes on down later and says that everything in the church ought to be done with decency and with order. Decency and with order because of the purpose. And if we do not do it with decency 
and with order, then we will compromise the purpose. We will compromise the effectiveness. And then you have a form of godliness without the power. So if you want the power, you got to know the purpose. Hello. You want the power of something, you got to know the purpose for something. And anywhere I don't know the purpose for something, I'm at risk of abusing it. Anywhere I don't know the purpose for something, I run the risk of abusing it. You've heard us make the statement multiple times. Where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. Where purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. And I can't think of another subject in the Bible that that runs as much abuse as prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And there's a lot of them. But those, we, we have so many misconceptions and so many misunderstandings. Last week we covered several, I think eight or nine myths just regarding speaking in tongues itself. Is it for today? Is it for everybody? Um, what does it sound like? When does it come? You know, we, we, we covered all kinds. And it's amazing that there's even, and I didn't even cover all of them. I just covered some of the most prominent ones or, or, or some of the ones that are the most widely communicated. But even after I ministered that message last week, I had different, even more myths come up that was like, man, we could have covered that. We could have stayed on this. We could have went here. For some reason, we have this attack on a prayer language. We have an attack on speaking and praying in an unknown tongue. I've told people this for years. If it weren't for speaking in tongues, we get people baptized in the Holy Spirit. No problem. Where do they get hung up on praying in an unknown tongue? They would be all for being baptized. Man, Holy Spirit, yes, I want that. There's more beyond salvation. Give it to me. I got to talk in a weird language. I got to say weird stuff that I don't understand. And we get hung up right there. There's a mental block. And even when praying with people and praying for them to receive, you can tell when they're getting analytical. You can tell when they're using their brain too much. And we forget that this is a supernatural, not natural component. And there are going to be some unknowns. But I mean, if, if you've seen God and that's what you needed to believe in him, you just shoot your hand up and let me know. But as far as I know, nobody's seen God, yet we have the faith to believe that he. There are some unknowns in Christianity, is there not? There are some things that we just can't, you can't explain it. You can't put a finger on it, but it's because faith is necessary. And if you have to understand it, then you'll never believe it. If you have to understand it, then you'll never believe it. And there are just some things in the word of God and in this walk, in this journey of faith that we walk in and operate in, that it's not going to be understanding that gets us over. It's believing. I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and I am saved. I believe that he died on a cross. I wasn't there. I believe that he rose again. I wasn't there. I believe that he ascended to heaven is at the right hand of the father. I wasn't there, but I believe those things by faith and they are enacted in my life. It's just as easy to get filled with the spirit as it is to get saved. It takes the same faith to get healed of a sickness and disease that it does to walk into the kingdom and be, and get born again. But we put these we put these levels and we make these things 
harder than they need to be. And so Paul devotes an entire chapter here to explaining these gifts. And so we're going to walk through this and try to understand uh, some of what he is saying. So desire, be zealous. Um, And so we need to earnestly desire this. Now let's look at verse 2. Verse 2 in the New American. For one who speaks in a tongue. And when we use the word tongue here, we're talking, we're speaking of an unknown tongue. One who speaks in a tongue, unknown tongue, does not speak to men, but to God. So he identifies two directions of speaking. There's speaking to men, horizontal, and then he says, but to God, speaking to God, vertical. There's two different ways I can speak. He's identifying. I can speak to men or I can speak to God. When I'm speaking or praying in a tongue, I am speaking to God. Okay? Got to understand the direction. Otherwise, we will allow complexities to show up. He does not speak to men but to God for no one understands, but in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. Look at this in the Amplified Version. Should be behind me on the screen. For if you have, um, nope, one, for one who speaks, yep, one who speaks in an unknown tongue does not speak to people, but to God. What's the direction when I'm speaking in tongues or when I'm praying in the spirit? What's the direction? Heavenly, toward God. This is going to be important here in a minute. For no one understands him or catches his meaning, but by the spirit, he speaks mysteries. These mysteries are secret truths, hidden things. Uh, This word mysteries defined in the Greek means this, not obvious to the understanding. Not obvious to the understanding. Well, obviously, if I'm praying or speaking in an unknown language, it's not obvious to my understanding what I'm praying in that moment. Okay? And people get hung up there. Well, don't I need to know? No, you don't. Paul clearly identifies, even though my mind is unfruitful, my understanding is unfruitful, there is great power being made available. The power is not in what you know. The power is not in what you comprehend. It's what your spirit, connected with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is able to do. Look at this in the New Living Translation. The New Living reads it this way. If you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit but it will all be mysterious. One more I want to show you in the Passion. The Passion translation reads this way. When someone speaks in tongues, no one understands a word he says because he's not speaking to people, but to God. He is speaking intimate mysteries in the Spirit. Speaking intimate mysteries in the Spirit. Ultimately, this is what I like to call praying in tongues. 
Spirit-assisted prayers. Spirit-assisted prayers. Spirit-assisted prayers. I want to dive into that thought just for a moment before we proceed even further. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14 and go over to Romans chapter 8. And we see this in another book that Paul wrote, identifying some of these same key points that we are going to highlight here out of these verses in 1 Corinthians 14. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. I'm going to let you get there, those of you brought your Bibles. You can visualize this. You can see this. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps. Everyone say helps. Helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. A couple things we want to highlight right here. First off, this word helps is interesting. It's only found in the Bible one other time. This word helps is only found in the Bible one other time, and it's in Luke chapter 10, verse 40, when uh, Jesus visits the home of Mary and Martha, and Martha complains to Jesus uh, that Mary isn't assisting and isn't helping with any of the chores. And, and she has this, uh, you know, little rant with Jesus and says, could you at least ask Mary to help me? And this word help that we see in these two instances, um, it, means, it means this, to take hold of opposite together. This word help means to take hold of opposite together, to take hold of opposite together. So imagine that there's a table here, and I ask Pastor Chris to come and help me. I would ask him to, hey, grab the other side. You with me? So I'm going to grab one side. Pastor Chris is going to come and grab the other side. How horrible would it be for me to say, Pastor Chris, can you help me with this table? And when he shows up, I leave and walk away. No, this word help is very specific. It means to grab hold of the opposite together, which means I'm carrying a load and the Holy Spirit is carrying a load. Martha was complaining in that passage saying, I'm carrying the whole load. And we both live here. She should be taking hold of opposite together with me. She's in this house too. And she's just sitting at your feet, listening to all your stories while I'm trying to get the dishes done. She needs to take hold of opposite together with me. We all carry a load. Well, when we understand this verse now, in the same way the Spirit helps us, he comes alongside and grabs the other side. We're not talking about the Holy Spirit praying in, re in place of us. We're talking about the Holy Spirit praying along with us. Y'all with me? These are Spirit-assisted prayers. You, you are still very much at play. You still very much have a role to play when we are praying in the Spirit. 
when you pray in an unknown language, don't check out and say, well, I don't know what I'm saying, so I'm just going to rabble on some conversation. No, you got to keep your heart in it. You stay locked in intentionally because we very much play a role even when we're praying in the Spirit. You are praying with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. The definition goes on to say this, to take hold of opposite together, to come alongside, to come alongside, and to bring aid. To bring aid. So I'm doing my part. I'm picking up one end, and the Holy Spirit comes along in my weakness where I cannot, if I am physically not able to pick up the entire table, then I'm, my weakness is not being able to carry the whole load. Therefore, I ask someone to help me or bring aid, come alongside, and pick up the weakness, the slack, where I do not, where I do not have the capacity. Y'all seeing me? Y'all hearing me? To come alongside, to bring aid, it also says this, co-operate. Cooperate. Co-operate. That means to operate with or operate together with another. So again, when we're praying in the Spirit, as he says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. What is our weakness? My weakness, uh, the word weakness is actually defined this way. Want of strength and capacity. Want of strength and capacity. Want of strength and capacity. Let's break that down real quick, two ways. Number one, capacity is what I don't know. The capacity of my mind to know. The capacity of my mind to understand. Now, I want to tell you this. Let me just give a little side rail here. Because we have to understand prayer and its purpose. If we're going to talk about praying in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit is one way to pray. It's a form of prayer, but it's not the only way to pray. So we actually have to throw it in the bunch of understanding prayer as a whole and the power of prayer. Look, one thing I have found is people don't value praying in the Spirit because they don't value praying. They don't even know the power that's in their prayers, period. They don't even know the purpose and the power of communicating and conversing with their Heavenly Father, communing with their Heavenly Father in communication, daily fellowship. It's it's not even just about uh, uh, making requests and petitions known, although we can do that through supplication. But you can also pray a prayer of thanksgiving. You can also pray a prayer of intercession or praying standing in the gap for another. And then praying in and of itself is spending time with the Father. It's communication. Praying in the Spirit is praying and spending time with the Holy Spirit fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. A great way to fellowship with the Holy Spirit is pray in the Spirit. Connect with Him in that level. But I will say this, that our prayers are impactful when we know what we're praying for. Now, I grew up, and and, and maybe some of you, this is a familiar term to you. I grew up where, you know, uh, uh, we would be in a circle and have Maybe it was on youth group, you know, Wednesday night youth group or something. And they would open up and they'd say, does anyone have any prayer requests? And somebody would raise their hand and say, uh, unspoken. 
Y'all heard of that? Okay, that, that's familiar, right? An uns- I have an unspoken. Well, I can't stand in faith for what I don't know. I mean, honestly, if, if people have unspoken prayer requests, then we need to go to work praying in the Spirit. That's about all I can do. Because in, in English, I'm limited. I mean, you, you gave me a weakness right out the gate. I have no idea what we're even praying for. So now I'm calling your name, and then I'm saying, you know, give them strength. Or, I mean, you know, it, it's a guessing game. You know, when, when, when we have people that are experiencing symptoms in their body, that sometimes they're afraid or maybe by a stance of faith say, well, I'm not going to go to the doctor. I'm just going to bleed for my Go to the doctor. Let's get a name because I know a name that's above every name. But let's find out, is it cancer? Is it thyroid? Is it a herniated disc? Is it, you know, broken? Is it not? I mean, let's find out what's going on and then we can apply faith on that thing. Call it out. Declare. Confess. Speak to it. Speak to the mountain, not about the mountain. Come on. So knowing helps. But what the Holy Spirit or what, what, what Paul is saying here about the Holy Spirit is in the same way the Spirit, capital S, also helps, comes alongside, opposite together, our weakness, my capacity. It also means want of strength. I will pray in the Spirit when I'm drained. When I'm drained physically. When I'm drained emotionally. When I'm drained mentally, the Holy Spirit comes alongside and brings aid, opposite, together. And he helps where I have a want of, of, of capacity, what I know, and a want of strength, even when I'm not able to. Anybody ever been to a place where you don't even feel like you're able to pray? Pray in the Spirit. I mean, sometimes I'll pray in the Spirit for people that I'm frustrated with. Because in English, I wouldn't be praying for them. Or at least my prayer wouldn't be edifying. Lord, bring this, and Lord, take care of this, and Lord, do this. And then he'd have to rebuke me and say, you don't know what spirit you're of. And then we have to have that whole conversation, get my heart right, and, you know, check your heart, bitterness and offense. And uh, now we got to go through all that. So I just go to praying in the spirit because... If I said what I wanted to say, just emotionally, just frustration, just out of anger, just out how I'm feeling in that moment. So that's another weakness. And the Holy Spirit wants to help you in your prayer. I don't know about you, but I want all the help I can get in my prayer life. I want all the help I can get. The Holy Spirit also helps our weakness. What's the weakness? For we do not know how to pray as we should. He tells you right in the next sentence. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit intercedes. And again, that word intercedes means to stand in the gap. That means he goes to work where I can. He comes alongside, opposite together. That's me saying, Holy Spirit, would you come help me move this table? I can't get it on my own. My strength is that. My focus is that. My, my, my emotions are that. I need, or, or my comprehension, my understanding, what's going on. 
And like I told you, the last year and a half, I found myself praying in the spirit more than I ever have because I find myself in more scenarios where I don't know what's going on or I'm so angry or I'm so frustrated or I'm so emotionally charged that I need the help of the Holy Spirit, the assistance of the Holy Spirit, praying with the assistance of the Holy Spirit in the same way. Let's read this uh, in a couple other translations real quick. Amplified version. Amplified version, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit comes to us and helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what prayer to offer or how to offer it as we should. But the Spirit himself knows our need and at the right time, intercedes on our behalf with sighs and groanings too deep for words. Verse 27 goes on to say, he searches the hearts. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes before God on behalf of God's people in accordance with God's will. I've said this before, you've heard me say this before, but every time you pray in the Spirit, you pray the perfect prayer. Every time you pray in the Spirit, you pray the perfect prayer. He never misses it. When the Holy Spirit prays, He never misses it. There's no hoping and no wish. You can be more confident in your prayer in an unknown tongue than we can be in our known tongue. Even if I know what I'm praying for, have comprehension, I spend time praying in English, I will make sure I pray in the Spirit as well. With the Spirit's assistance, cover anything I don't know cover anything I haven't said, cover anything I, I hasn't been revealed. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. And so when I make a daily habit of this and I, and, and I guard and I protect my prayer language in, 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 in my private life, in my personal prayer life, the Holy Spirit is coming alongside and assisting. He says, who knows the Spirit of God? If you ever want to pray out the will of God about something, pray in the Spirit. He knows the will of God, and he will pray in line with the will of God. He'll never, Jesus told us before he left, the Holy Spirit will come. When he comes, he will testify of me, and he will never say anything on his own initiative, only that which he hears from the Father. That, that's, a, that's an awesome guarantee. The Holy Spirit's not going rogue. The Holy Spirit's not doing his own thing. The Holy Spirit doesn't have his own agenda. The Holy Spirit is literally the go-between between between us and God. And he's taking our prayers and making them known before God. And then he's taking the will of God and he's making it known to us. Isn't that awesome? Look at this in the Passion Translation. Verse 26. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Now, I want to make something clear. Paul is not talking specifically about praying in tongues in this passage. He's talking about our Christian prayer life in general. I can pray in English with the assistance of the Holy Spirit as he reveals and makes known to me how I should be praying, and what I should be praying for. 
But you can apply the same practicality that he's lining out in these two verses to our private and personal prayer language, praying in an unknown tongue. It's the same practical element, but it's applied regardless of what language I'm praying in. But obviously, if I'm praying in the Spirit, I'm obviously praying with the assistance of the Spirit because He's the one praying through me, right? The last time I checked, you didn't know what you were praying in tongues. You didn't spell it out. You, didn't, you can't go and write it on a piece of paper. It's an unknown tongue, tongues of angels, a heavenly language, not known or comprehended by man. So that automatically demands the Holy Spirit. Anytime you need the Holy Spirit to show up, go ahead and yield yourself fully to him. And there's no greater way to yield yourself wholly to the Holy Spirit, fully to the Holy Spirit, than praying in the Spirit. Because at that point, it's all off of me. The only part that I'm playing is I am yielding my voice. I'm yielding my vessel. I'm keeping my heart connected. But it's the Holy Spirit that's uttering the words. And think about the trust factor that's involved there. The trust factor that as I'm praying, I'm not just wasting my breath. I'm not just wasting my time. The trust is the Holy Spirit is working on my behalf even though I don't know what I'm saying or specifically what I'm praying for. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians 14. Now, as we address 1 Corinthians 14, Paul is specifically identifying the public corporate use in a church setting of prophecy, tongues, and interpretation. That's what he is addressing. But in doing so, he also helps us by distinguishing between the corporate public use and my private use. He puts them, he contrasts them together. Y'all understand what I'm saying? So he's, he's specifically addressing this church and their mishandling of the tongues in a church setting. Meaning, there's a way to do it and there's a way not to do it. We don't get to come in this building and decide how we're going to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. And there are rules. There are things that he clearly addresses. Now, I am not in this session, in these teachings. Well, well, maybe. Maybe one week I will address the public use of tongues. But right now, I'm specifically addressing the private. So let's go through these passages and let's pull out the verses that help us distinguish when he's talking about a private language comparing it to a public use, and then we can learn some things, okay? Go back to verse 2 again. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. So right here in these two verses, he distinguishes between the private use and the public use. In the first, he says, when I speak in an unknown tongue, I'm speaking to God. To God. So are we talking about the private or the public at that point? Private. Because if I'm not speaking to men, then it's not for a public use. It's not for a public setting. That means in my private, or what I like to use the word personal. Because Okay, let's, let's just clarify this. 
In here, do we ever pray together corporately in English? Do we ever pray? And when you're praying, who are you talking to? You're talking to God. But do we do it corporately where even audibly where we can hear each other? Absolutely. So a common pushback that we get from this chapter that we've heard before is when you're in a public setting, we should not be speaking in tongues at all unless there's an interpretation. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't direct, that doesn't connect with praying in English. The bottom line is if, if we're in a corporate setting and we're all praying in the spirit together, who are we talking to? It's directed to God, directed to God. So it doesn't matter if you hear me or not. Several weeks ago, Pastor Paul Brady was here, and he did something I'd never heard anybody do before, but I thought it was powerful. I thought it was awesome. He said, pray in the Spirit. Pray loud enough so your neighbor can hear you. <laughs> Why? Because we're too, we're too shy uh, and, and cowering as it is when it comes to praying in the Spirit. No, we need to be bold about praying in the Spirit, just as bold as you would be praying in English. Now, if I hear someone praying in the Spirit, it's easy to identify if it's directed to you or it's not directed to you. I give you an example in English. Again, many times we have prayed in English in this room together, have we not? Yes, we just did Sunday night. All praying in English, all praying to God corporately in one room. And we knew that none of that was directed to each of us. So I'm praying, you're praying, and, and, and we're all just, we're, we're in unison, in one accord, praying over the same thing, maybe the same theme or topic. But then Sunday morning, Nick, Mr. Nick, had a prophecy, had a word for us. Y'all were here Sunday, and y'all heard that. Did you see how quiet it got? Why? Who was Nick talking to at that point? He wasn't talking to God. That was God talking through Mr. Nick to the body of Christ for the purpose of edification, exhortation, and consolation. And did it do that? Absolutely. It confirmed that we are doing the right thing. We're pleasing the Lord, and he's bringing the rain. He's bringing the Spirit. The Spirit's falling on this church. We got that word from God directly. The, the man is, 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 regardless of who God uses, that's the vessel that God used. We don't use gifts of the Spirit for personal promotion. The, what got promoted was the glory of God. What got promoted was God's will concerning our church. What got promoted was an encouraging word by the Spirit. Well, we all got quiet, didn't we? Well, it's the same thing when we're talking in tongues in a different language. We can all be in here corporately praying in the Spirit together, and I don't have any issue with, well, I hear them praying in tongues. You know, reason why people have that kind of pushback is because they just feel uncomfortable. Well, they're praying in another language, and I don't know what they're saying. So the example that I used for that, several years ago, I was at a conference, and there was another pastor there that was from Nicaragua that was speaking at this conference. Now, we were out in the hallway, and I had an opportunity to meet this pastor from Nicaragua and, 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 that, and so on and so forth. But, but he was standing next to me, and he was having a conversation with another Spanish individual, and they were speaking in Spanish. And I overheard their entire conversation, had no clue what they were saying. 
I could pick out words here and there maybe, but had no idea what they were talking about, where they were going, what the direct, what the, and, and nothing in me got flustered. Like, oh, I need to know what they're saying. I can't believe they would do that next to me. How, how offensive, how rude that they would talk in Spanish right next to me when they know I don't know Spanish. That never came, came, that never, that thought never came across my brain. But then he ended his conversation and he came up to me and he started talking to me as if I knew what he was saying in Spanish. Now we got a problem. We have a guy in our church named Ernie. Ernie is uh, one of the interpreters that we take with us when we go to Nicaragua. And so I said, hold on, uno momento. Go over here. Ernie, I need your help. Come here, Ernie. I need an interpreter. I need someone to translate. You, I mean, he could be telling me he's giving me a million dollars or I hate your guts. I have no idea what he's saying. But when I get the interpretation, now I'm edified. He was actually asking me to come and teach in his school. I would have totally missed it. Obviously. I would, have had, I would have had no way of knowing that he was inviting me to come to Nicaragua and come teach in the Bible school there, train the men and women, and, and, and help with I would have had no way had there not been an interpreter. So when the conversation was overheard, it doesn't bother me. But when the conversation's directed to me, now I need to know what's being said. So this is where the, the, the public or the corporate, we have this idea that if tongues are spoken in a public setting, that that can't be happening. And that's not at all the case. We can all, if that were the case, then Acts chapter 2 was against the will of God. Because they were all in one accord, 120 of them in the upper room, and it said that they all began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then you go down a few more verses and you find out that they were so loud that the people on the street heard them speaking. Is that right? They thought they were drunk. They thought they were crazy. Apparently, they were speaking in tongues, praying in tongues so loudly in a corporate setting, in a public setting, that they were heard on the street below. Wouldn't that be something if we prayed in tongues so loud in here, they could hear us out on the road? Our neighbors across the street could hear us praying in tongues. They got loud. They were bold with it. Okay? So we, we have to keep the word of God in context. There's a lot of things that if you say we cannot at all speak in tongues in a public setting, there's a lot else in the scripture that we have to eradicate or leave out. Or now we have to misinterpret it as well. Y'all with me? Okay. I told you, we're teaching. Okay, I'm I'm trying to teach you. I'm trying to get practical with this thing. Verse three, one who prophesies speaks to men. Verse four, one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But one who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke in tongues. You see that? I wish you all. So apparently this was not a pick and choose thing for Paul and for the Corinthian church. And again, he's talking to a church that's operating in these things and a little overuse of it, misuse. And again, he says, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy, prophesying in English, in a known language. And greater is the one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets 
so that the church may receive edifying. So what was happening in this church? I'm going to have to wrap it up here. What's happening in this church? They are walking around in a prophecy-type mode and speaking to each other or speaking directed to the church in unknown languages with no interpretation. That's what's happening. And that's what Paul was addressing. It's not even just that they're corporately praying in tongues together. It's that they are walking up to people and speaking to them in an unknown language and expecting it to edify them or strengthen them. And Paul's saying, it doesn't work that way. Their mind's unfruitful. They don't know what they're saying. He goes on down and says, there's, there's many languages. And it seems that they all have their purpose. They all have their use. But unless the mind of the hearer is fruitful, it doesn't do anything for you. And again, the number one goal of any of the gifts is for the edification of the body of Christ, the strengthening and the building up. And you can talk to me in Spanish. You can talk to me in Chinese. You can talk to me in, the, in tongues. If I don't know what you're saying, it's not fruitful to me unless there is an interpretation. Again, he is not forbidding tongues. He's correcting the use, the practice, and the purpose of it so it can be the most fruitful. He's distinguishing in a pub. He even goes on down and says that they were preaching and teaching in a pub in a pulpit setting like this, in an unknown language. I know it sounds ridiculous, and I know it sounds crazy, but that's why we have an entire chapter devoted to this. This is how off this church had gotten, and the church needed to be corrected. Um, Let me read that verse 5. Let me jump down here to verse 14. Let me jump down here to verse 14. We'll wrap up here. He says, for if I pray in a tongue, again, we're highlighting the personal private use. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind also. Does he say, don't worry about praying in the spirit, forget praying in the spirit. If your mind's unfruitful, it doesn't work. No. He says, I will spend time praying in the spirit, but I'll also spend time praying in a language I know. I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit, but I will sing with the mind also. Paul is kind of pulling back the curtain a little bit and letting us know how he prays in a private manner in the Spirit. He's pulling back the curtain. He's showing us the power of praying in the Spirit. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Again, he's distinguishing. He's not saying you can't speak in tongues. He's saying the emphasis of these services is the building up and the edifying of the church. And if we're going to do that, 
we're going to need an interpretation. We're going to need a language we understand. I pray in the spirit in, in the microphone. I remember there was a, a couple that came to our church early on. And, and, and they had a question about, well, when you pray in the spirit, in the microphone, don't we need an interpretation? I said, it's not directed to you. You've heard me pray in English in the microphone, right? And you know, I'm not directing it to you. I'm directing it to God. But now if I'm praying in a tongue that is getting your attention, that's now directed where your attention's on me, then there's going to be a pause and we're going to wait for someone to give the interpretation of that tongue. Otherwise, no one's edified. But comparatively, for those of you that have been in our church and you know us, there is probably a five to 10,000 ratio, so to speak, of how much we talk in English versus how much we talk in a tongue. What's he saying? He's not forbidding it. He's not saying it can't be used in a corporate saying. He says it has its place if it's directed to a church body, to the believers in a corporate setting, we need an interpretation. Otherwise, it's personal, it's private, it's me talking to God. And I think you would all agree I talk in English a lot more than I speak in tongues. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.